holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon to you. How's it going? It's going well. Are you happy to be back in your traditional podcasting place? It's easier to podcast when I'm in my own studio. I mean, it's okay doing it from the road and I've got a microphone and a, a hotel room. It just feels strange and odd and surreal, though, doing it in those places. So, yes, I'm happy to be back in my normal podcasting place, um, having had a great time in the USA and the US tour. Of course, you're not in your normal podcasting place. You're now in, you're now in Edinburgh. I am. I'm in very grey, very cloudy Edinburgh, getting ready to do my show, which starts on Wednesday. So it's a bit of a manic week. I mean, I don't know if it, you've thought about this, but it strikes me that the minute we turn our backs, Arsenal suddenly get very busy doing a lot of things. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff has happened in the last couple of weeks. So much so, actually, and some, some of it's so exciting uh, that we had a question here from Barry O'Reilly, who's at Barry mm. CCR, and he said, did Gunnar Blog die because we're signing <laughs> Pepe? I want good fortune for Arsenal, but I'm worried about James' health. So can we, for the record, can we confirm whether or not you are dead i am dead i am broadcasting from beyond the grave this is uh, andrew conducted a seance just to get me here on the podcast mm. this is the ghost uh, no i'm alive and well which i'll be honest has got me worried too something must be around the corner yeah something but look at yeah i mean lots has happened um, and it's really weird and strange when it happens and you're in a different time zone. Uh, like Saturday morning, for example, I woke up and as you do, you sort of lean over and you check your phone and you're going, why, what, hang on, what, why is it, why have I got messages, what's happening here? And then I saw mm-hmm. the the Ornstein thing and I thought it was one of those things where, you know, the way someone will change their avatar to David Ornstein's avatar and, like, fire out a tweet and people will look at it and they won't see that it's from, like, I don't know, Wind Up Merchant 75. They, you know, they just see the picture of David Ornstein and go, oh, wow, is that your doorbell? No, I can't hear anything. Wow, what is that ringing noise I heard in my ears? Could be the jet lag. Anyway, that was my first thought, that the, the Pepe thing was was a wind-up, but it doesn't doesn't appear to be. No. I'm exactly the same instinct. I think I sort of clicked on the pitch and was like, is it really you, David? Is it really you? Can it possibly be? But I suppose, I mean, the weird thing is, we saw this story kind of broke, I want to say a couple of weeks ago or 10 days ago at any rate. There yeah. were stories from France that four clubs had a degree of 80 million euros. And I think Arsenal came out 
and denied it. I think maybe even through David Ornstein or certainly through, you know, some of the Arsenal beat journalists, it came out that, no, that's not correct. Well... Maybe it was closer to being correct back then than we think. Yeah, this was on actually July 13th. And it was according to right. uh, TF1, the French outlet, who said that we had bid £80 million pounds for, mm. or 80 million euros for Nicolas Pepe. And we all kind of went, yeah, as if. I mean, that's never going to happen. And I think we were, you know, I don't think it was unreasonable to be cynical about the idea that that kind of a deal could go through. But lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, it is happening. Or appears to be anyway. Mm. I don't want to jump the gun here because it's an exciting signing. I know he's a player that you you like a lot. Um, so I, you know, until it goes well, I completely so much that I like him so much that I think I said earlier this summer we had no chance of getting him. So I don't want to count any chickens now. Um, but yeah, look, I would I would really like it to happen. I mean, do you feel confident? It feels like it's a real thing, right? It does. It does feel like it's a real thing, and it feels there's a sort of element of like too good to be trueness about it as well. Mm. So I don't want to like piss on anyone's chips because the idea of him signing, I think, is really, really exciting. And particularly as he is a left footed player who plays predominantly from the right. You know, we were looking at Wilfred Zaha, yeah. and he's a right footed player who plays predominantly from the left in terms of their output and in terms of what they would bring to the team in terms of dribbling in terms of running out of opposition Pepe certainly goal scoring is ahead of Zaha even if there were some penalties he had a lot of assists last season as well so you know I I, I wonder if um, the target has changed in some way over the last couple of weeks like was Pepe the first choice and was Zaha the second? Remember what Emery said about like how they do transfers? We've got our first choice and then our second. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Did something change at, at Lille's end in that, you know, they were they were willing to accept a, a deal that was structured in a way which meant we could pay it over five years? Well, I, I think that will be a huge factor in this. I, my gut says that Wilfred Zaha probably was the first choice because they thought they would get him for less than they're ultimately paying for Pepe, you know, I think they probably thought, well, if we can get Zaha for 50 million or something like that, then we'll do that rather than, you know, the best part of 70 million pounds on on Pepe. And I suspect that one of the things that's been a factor in this is just that, that we're able to pay for him in instalments. I mean, I've seen fees as low as sort of 20 million euros quoted in terms of what we'll have to cough up for Lille this summer. Yeah. And you'd have to think that Palace would be looking for probably at least double that this year uh, so I do think the financial side of the deal it does seem you know look at our situation with Kieran Tierney and how that's dragged on because of bring off those payments and it feels like that's a big part of our transfer strategy this summer is that we don't want to commit a huge amount of cash up front and that's probably played into doing the deal but despite that I mean I think there are plenty of reasons that a lot of people will feel this is a more attractive deal than the Zaha deal I think the age of the player is one. Mm. You know, he's a couple of years younger. The fact that he's more of a goal scorer. And I think as well, the fact that, as you say, he's a, a left-footed player, which in our front three is something we, we don't really have. We have. I mean, we finally replaced you, Andrew. What a relief. Replace, you just went squaggly there when you were saying that name. Who? What were you oh, saying? I was Joel Campbell. Oh. We finally replaced him. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to, you know, if he does, if he does arrive, and if he arrives, is the plan to play him from the right hand side? Like, is there a, so. a long term plan to play Pepe with Hector Bellerin as a really dynamic right sided duo? Because mm. that would be very exciting to me. But is there, you know, the potential to play him from the left hand side as well? Um, depending on who we bring in, uh, you know, there, if we still uh, have our eyes on Kieran Tierney or, or whatever. But, you know, it's, yeah. um, it'd be a hell of a front line, wouldn't it? Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mesut Ozil. Who else have we got? I mean, you've got Reese Nelson coming through, uh, who could potentially play from the yeah. left side. You know, we, we have Mkhitaryan, we have Eddie Nketiah. It, but he he would definitely bring something um, that this team does not have, and that's someone who will run at players with the ball at his feet. Mm. Mm, that's something that we desperately need. And I, I joke about Joel Campbell, but actually there was a time where his partnership with Bellerin on the right-hand side was quite effective because he was someone who would cut inside and that would create space on the overlap for mm. Bellerin. So I, I'm i optimistic that that is going to be a partnership we see a lot of next season. I mean, there were stories in France that, you know, when Pepe was choosing his next club, he would be thinking about the right-back he would play with and how important it was for him to foster a relationship with that player. I mean, I take it with a slight pinch of salt because yeah. I think at the end of the day in football, money talks. But as a fan, it, on paper, it looks like a really promising partnership. Uh, and uh, Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe, I mean, that is mouth-watering. It, it makes you think, surely we are going to be playing fairly regularly with something like a, a front three because we've got to maximise, get the most out of those players. Yeah, for sure. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're not necessarily after a, a direct Danny Welbeck replacement. In that Welbeck was a striker who could play left or right and they seem to have earmarked Eddie Nketiah as the guy who can play as the, the third striker, if you like, uh, in, in some mm -hmm. of the Europa League games and League Cup games and, and everything else. So having this kind of a player in the team, I mean, 22 goals last season for Lille, 11 assists. You know, that was, um, that's, those are good numbers. Those are good numbers. They're certainly better numbers than uh, Zaha. Of course, there was an element of him taking the penalties, but, you know, you still have to score a penalty. That's good to have another guy in the team who can put them away. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, look, I... I he, he won a good deal of those penalties, I think, as right. well, which could be, ve could be very handy, especially with uh, VAR coming in next year. If you've got someone who's a very good dribbler in the box, uh, that might pay dividends next season. Yeah, so, you know, w when you look at things like that happening and what's all already happened, which we'll talk about, of course, uh, in a couple of minutes' time, you know, has your mood shifted, you know, 10%, 20%, 50%? Is it a radical change in how you view next season yet, or is there still work to do, in, in your opinion? Look, I think there's still definitely work to do and you can't help but look at the other end of the pitch and, and yeah. worry a little bit. I mean, obviously we are leaning into our strengths here. Well, I think we're more than leaning. We're sort of, we're diving into our strengths headlong uh, by bringing in another attacking player. But what I would say is that, you know, as a fan, you just want to feel excited to watch your team, I think. And, you know, the signing of someone like Pepe, and I think the, to a certain extent this would have been true of Zaha as well, will bring that excitement. You know, I'm intrigued to see how we line up, how they get on. I, I'm looking forward to some of that attacking play. And I think 
you know, Unai Emery was criticised for his conservatism a bit last season, but uh, it seems the way that they're structuring the squad that surely it's going to go the other direction. I mean, we seem to be absolutely relying on our attacking firepower at this point. Yes, yes. And look, it is one of those signings if it goes through. And we have to say that, you know, uh, the signing probably won't be announced until three seconds after we finish recording this podcast, the way things have been going. <laughs> Almost certainly. Almost certainly. But... If it does go through, it is definitely one of those signings that puts bums on seats. We all want defenders and we want our defence to improve. But in terms of what what a signing can bring in terms of excitement and the way a team can play, then Pepe is a guy who would have a big impact in that regard. And the way that this team will play next season, I'm excited by the prospect of having a team which has a real focus on some, uh, you know, it's not like we didn't focus on attacking players last season because Emery came to be very reliant on Aubameyang and um, Lacazette. But the outlets, the creative outlets, the the guys who were getting into the final third were Kalasinac, maybe, and mm. the uh, maybe Maitland-Niles at times. But when you've got Pepe driving at a defense or Pepe running through, you know, uh, Aubameyang chasing balls through, you know, it, it is exciting to think that the conservative element to the way uh, Emery set up his team at times last season might not be as prevalent next season. I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think last year we looked like a team that was reliant on their attack without necessarily being an attacking team. And, you know, yeah. I, I think th this year we're setting up to be a much more dynamic side. And I think maybe that's sensible. You know, I, as much as I'm like, well, they've got to get some defensive reinforcements, I'm also realistic about how much impact one player could have with our defensive problems. And, uh, you know, I do think that we'll be better served by by leaning into our strengths. Okay. Okay. Well, look, we're, I think we probably have a ton of questions about what's going to happen in the transfer market beyond mm. Nicolas Pepe uh, and what we might do defensively. So we'll save those for the second half of the show. So one thing that actually did happen was the arrival of Danny Ceballos from Real Madrid. Mm. Um, this is the second podcast I'm recording today. There is a, a, an earlier Arscast special in which I talked to Colin Miller, who's the editor of Football España, uh, about Danny Ceballos and about his career and how it's progressed from Real Betis to Real Madrid, why he's at Arsenal now and what he can bring to the team in the Premier League. So if you haven't already had a chance to listen to that, you can check it out afterwards. But it's about a half an hour show uh, specifically on Ceballos. But um, your thoughts on, on this loan move, James? I have to say, I think when we are clearly... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, choosing where to actually spend money to have filled a gap in midfield with a lone player who's going to be highly motivated one way or the other to perform consistently and to perform well is a, is a smart move. I think so. I mean, I think it's difficult to foresee a situation where he stays at Arsenal. You know, I feel like if it's a success, he wants to go back to Madrid. And if it's not a success, do we necessarily mm. want to keep him? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't bother me, really. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a really smart move because I think in the likes of, you know, Joe Willock, uh, there are others, Genduzzi, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe, we've got young players who 
potentially could play in those sort of central areas of the pitch. And having Stebios here for a year is going to do us a massive favour in that respect and give them a bit more time to development to develop. And maybe by the end of next season, we've got a clearer idea, you know, who might make the grade and and who might not. Mm. You're going with the th for Thabaios, are you? I went for it and then you I thought that was difficult. difficult. I don't know if I'm doing that again. No, just go with the Sabayas. I think it's fine. Because, you know, we don't say Barcelona. We don't have to do all that. We can kind of anglicise yeah, it a, right. a little bit. But, I mean, it isn't impossible for him to stay with us. I mean, he might like it and we might really like him. And Real Madrid were, I think, willing to let him go this summer on a permanent basis for around 50 million euros, which I think is out of our price range you know, given the circumstances we find ourselves in next, uh, this summer. But perhaps if he plays well and he likes it at Arsenal and he settles in and he's, you know, he's got the trust of a coach who could well be with us next season uh, and he is potentially going back to a coach who he doesn't really get on with in Zidane. He's had his uh, run-ins with Zidane mm. uh, in the past. So, you know, it's not impossible if he does well that we could make that deal permanent. Of course, it's a real shop window for him because, you know, if he's absolutely determined to get back to Real Madrid and show that he can make it there, then that could be his primary motivation. Or if his motivation is to win a move to Arsenal or win a move to another big European club, you know, it's all there for him this season. It does sound, you know, from what Emery says that he he's... You know, these reports that he promised him X amount of games or whatever it is. You know, I don't know that any manager can really do that, but it sounds like he's bringing him in with the idea to consider him straight away for the Arsenal first team in whatever system that Unai Emery is going to use going into this new campaign. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've not had a chance to listen yet to the the other Arsenal you've recorded, but from your conversation... Was uh, did you get the idea that he was sort of a, one of the deeper midfield players or someone who'd be more operating in the kind of Meza Ozil number 10 role? Yeah, well, that's what Emery said. He said he's like an 8 or a 10, is what, yeah. what Emery said about him. Um, I mean, I don't suppose it would be unreasonable or impossible, rather, for him to play in a in a deeper midfield role but again, it depends what way Emery is setting up his team and who he's got earmarked for, for certain positions. So if it's a 4-1-2-3, is he the guy who can play the one in that system? I don't know. But certainly he could play in the other two positions. Could he play yeah. as a number 10? I mean, Emery has said he's a 10. You know, he's not really a goal-scoring midfielder. He doesn't get a lot of assists. But, you know, he's been in a team where... I suspect to a certain extent at Real Madrid, he has been a bit marginalized in terms of what what kind of role he can play. So if you're playing, you know, with Modric, with Cruz, with Isco, um, you know, all these other big name players in the team, you know, maybe you are a little bit marginalized. But if you come into a team like Arsenal and you're handed some responsibility as he was for Spain's under-21s and he was, uh, mm. you know, he was very, very good in the European under-21 championships, you know, that might that might just bring the best out of him. Again, I guess we don't want to uh, completely pigeonhole a guy straight away. It might take us a little bit of time to figure out what kind of a player he is and what way he fits into, uh, into Emery's system. It does feel a bit, though, that the manager is slightly changing the way that this team is going to play next season. It becomes, it becomes 
less and less likely that we're going to go with a back three on a regular basis if we've got, you know, if we've got Torreira, if we've got Ginduzi, if we've got Xhaka, if we've got Joe Willock, if we've got Ceballos, you know, uh, Mesut Ozil, Henrik Mkhitaryan. You leave too many of those players out if you play a back three. So it's it seems to me that we are going to use a back four, and again we'll come to the defense a bit later on. But um, if you if you're playing with a back four, you've got you've got more ways of getting these guys into into your first team. Yeah, I think you're right about that, and I think you know that's where the Kieran Tierney interest comes from. That wanting to switch to a back four. Uh, I saw a glimpse of Ceballos in the Emirates Cup yesterday. Looks like a very tidy. Very accomplished player. Um, and, you know, I think there is part of me that sort of show, thinks that maybe this shows a little bit how our stock has fallen in the football world, that, you know, we're, we're kind of loaning... Madrid see us as someone they can loan someone to rather than a direct rival or competitor. Uh, I suppose we're not in the Champions League, and that's that's part of that. But I just think it's a pretty shrewd bit of business all in all and the important thing is as we said right at the top he's going to be motivated and you know last season we had Aaron Ramsey and we knew there was a very significant chance he wouldn't be with us the following year but he performed brilliantly and was an integral part of our side and from listening to Unai Emery it feels like Sabas is going to be pretty important to him too Yeah and maybe it is a case of the you know because of the mess we made with the Aaron Ramsey situation that in order to replace that long term you know, we have to, to we have to make a short term decision or, or find a short term fix while we uncover a long term uh, solution. Yeah, absolutely, and that solution might well come from within the academy. I mean, Joe Willock is another who played yesterday against Leon, and I thought was very impressive as he has been for much of pre season. But bringing in a player who can kind of share that burden of expectation and share that game time with him, I think, is no bad thing at all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it gives them, it gives Willock, you know, another year to develop um, at the right pace, perhaps. Exactly. You know, so he's, you know, if and when Sabayas leaves next summer, if it doesn't become permanent, we have a Joe Willock who is 12 months further developed. He'd be, what, 20, 21 years of age at that point. Mm. Would he be that old? How old is Joe Willock now? Is he 18, 19? I'm just googling here. I think that sounds about right. He is 19. Uh, so actually he's going to be he's going to be 20 in August. So you know he'll be 21 years of age at the start of next season. That's a decent age for a central midfield player and if he can if he can make the kind of progress it looks like he can make based on what he's done in pre-season with all the caveats that come with that then in 12 months time we could have we could have a real player on our hands because for me watching the games over in the US and I didn't get to see any of the the game yesterday because of tiredness and jet lag and time zones and I just you know my brain wasn't working it's barely working as it is but based on what I saw from Joe Willock in the US you know he's he's got the potential to be a first team player at Arsenal um but at the same time, we've often seen young players maybe pushed a little too far, too soon. And if Ceballos mm. can, uh, you know, his his extra experience, I know he's only 22 himself, but if his extra bit of experience can allow Willock to develop without, without heaping a lot of pressure on him, then that could very well be a good thing for us. Yeah, I mean, one thing I noticed yesterday just 
watching the on on telly was the physical transformation in Joe Willock. I mean, he was always a big kid, but he he seems to have really developed and filled out, and he's quite a powerful player even at that tender age. So I think he's a, a really exciting prospect. Probably probably along with Eddie and Ketia, the most impressive of the young players mm. in preseason, uh, and and I think. I expect him to be in that match day squad for that Newcastle game, that first Premier League game, and I think it will be deservedly so. Yeah, I'm not sure he'll be in the team, but I think he'll definitely be he'll definitely be in the squad. So the other thing we yeah. did was um, William Saliba, a guy who uh, pictures have emerged, haven't they, over the last uh, couple of days of him being uh, an Arsenal fan since he was a kid. So obviously mm-hmm. there was no way he was ever going to sign uh, for Tottenham, um, but he's. He's gone back on loan to to Saint-Étienne for 12 months. Uh, I think we paid not a huge amount this summer from this summer's budget, and that, that, that will kick in next season when he arrives on a permanent basis. As you said before, if they're viewing him as the kind of defensive prospect he's being talked up uh, as being, they made sure they got this deal done. I mean, we won't know for... For what a couple of couple of years, maybe, as to whether or not all this hassle was worth it. So, um, what what do you feel about the Saliba deal this uh, this summer and the fact that we've we've loaned him back um, to to his former club? Well, look, I mean, first and foremost, it's always nice to to beat Spurs to a signing, and if reports are to be believed, we did that with both Sabia and Ceballos, so uh, that was definitely encouraging. Uh, I think that it's a good thing that we were able to land such a well-regarded European talent. Uh, you know, I think that it shows maybe that the benefit of bringing through someone like Genduzi and the opportunities he got last season. You know, Genduzi and Saliba have played together in the French international setup, and apparently they had conversations about Arsenal. And you know, I think we've made ourselves an attractive proposition for a young player because you know that shows you can come here and you can get game time. Uh, not right away, of course. He's going to play a season on loan. I think that's probably for the best. I mean, he is still incredibly young, especially for a centre-half. But, Mm. you know, physically, he has a lot of the tools. Uh, So I I do think it's a a good move from the club and a bit of long-term thinking, which hasn't always been our our best attribute, shall we say, strategically. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Yeah. I have a question, though. You sound a bit unconvinced. No, I'm not unconvinced. I mean, look, at. Uh, we'll obviously all watch more Liga next season than we've ever watched before because we'll be, you know, keeping an eye on Saliba and and Mm. there'll be compilations here, there and everywhere every time he has a, every time he has a good game. Uh, And I like the idea that we have a long-term strategy, that we have identified a player who could become a really good player, you know, as Raul Sanya, he said, we have to outsmart the market. And if buying an 18-year-old for 25 million euros in 2019 gives you a player who's worth 100 million or 120 million in 2023, and you've had three, four good seasons from him, maybe that's what it's about. You know, it's not about um, short-term tricks. It's about making sure that the long-term uh, recruitment strategy of the club is correct. Um I was just a little bit worried by some of the comments about how difficult it is to find defenders. That was the only mm. thing that sort of worried me uh, a little bit about uh, about the, the last few days. I can't even remember the, the context. I think it was Unai Emery maybe talking about how difficult it was to find 
to find defenders. And I, I noticed that you made a comment on, on Twitter earlier today when Sen- uh, Emery was asked about the state of the defence in the Emirates mm. Cup game yesterday. He said, we were trying to sign a winger and we were trying to sign a centre half. Um, it looks like Pepe is the winger. You were a bit worried that maybe uh, Saliba was the centre half. Yeah, there's just been a couple of things from the club that have made me think that and I wasn't in Emery's press conference so I I can't speak with authority but uh, I I do and it's always difficult to decipher precisely what he means but I do wonder and I I guess part of the reason I wonder is that we just haven't really been linked with many other centre-halves have we? No, no, we haven't. Uh, We haven't. Uh, And it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, well, you know, we've we've got one coming in and that's what we're going to do. And and, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It would concern me. Yes, me too. We'll we'll touch on this, I think, in a bit more depth in in part <laughs> two, though, because I think there's probably okay. plenty plenty to say about it. So, what else has been going on? The Emirates Cup, um, we 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 lost in the Emirates Cup to Leon. Um, slightly sluggish looking yeah, performance from the highlights I saw. It looked like a really slow paced kind of game. Whether that was the team finding their legs again after doing all the flying around America, I don't know. Maybe. I found it relatively entertaining, but then I didn't uh, watch too many of the American games, so maybe I've been a bit starved of football and right. uh, consequently was just lapping it up. I mean, it was a really odd game because we we seemed to go ahead. Gabriel Martinelli uh, seemingly put us 2-1 in front and then within 60 seconds, I think the goal had been disallowed and Leon had gone ahead through Moussa Dembele. So it was a, a bit of an odd... Uh, and I, it wasn't clear entirely, I think, to everyone in the stadium exactly what had gone on there, that the first goal hadn't stood. Um, but uh, there were some positive things. Like I say, I think Joe Willock was the big positive for me. I thought Matteo Genduzzi, uh was also pretty good, given that he's just come back to training. He looked pretty sharp in central midfield. Uh, and, and looking at those two, Genduzzi and Willock, they're very different players, but uh, it struck me that in different ways they might be able to fill some of the void left by Aaron Ramsey. You know, Genduzzi in the sort of deeper parts of the pitch mm. and Willock more advanced. Um, and, you know, I know it's a big task for any young player, but they, they, they are presumably are part of that plan. And we've got a lot of options centrally now. In central midfield, you know, you, you think of Shaka, Lucas Torreira is not back yet. Sabios, uh, we've talked about as well. So there's a lot of competition in that part of the pitch. Yeah, that's uh, true. It'd be interesting to see what what combinations Emery goes for. I mean, that's without mentioning Meza Özil, of course, as well. Yeah, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Alex Iwobi as well. Somebody who's who's uh, you know going to come back from his holidays. I assume he's back this week. I think Torreira is back this week. I guess everybody mm. should be back in in full training at this point. Some a little bit further behind than others. Um, yeah, there are plenty of options for him there. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think, was there anything else from the Emirates Cup? I mean, Lacazette had a little bit of an injury, didn't he? So that, that was a slight worry, but he appears to be he appears to be fine. Um, he had a problem yeah. with the ankle before the game, uh, I was told. And maybe it was just him saying, yeah, I'll give it a run, and then coming off to make sure nothing else happened. Right, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's worth taking the precautions in pre-season, but it was worrying seeing him in that protective boot. But uh, I've seen, I think, a clip of him 
training consequently. So uh, what else was the stories out of the Emirates Cup? Sammy Kadira was there in the crowd. There was a lot of noise about that, but I think he was just there as a, a guest of Meza Ozil rather than a guest of Raul Sanyehi. Well, I hope that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's the case. Yeah, it, it would be a very strange signing, especially having just spoken about how congested we might well be uh, in the middle of the pitch. Uh, Aubameyang looked sharp. He, he took his goal remarkably well. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw the clip. It was like, well, how? What? And then it was like, oh. He almost didn't celebrate it. I kind of thought maybe it was an own goal, the way he just pointed at Mkhitaryan and yeah. was so chilled out about it. But uh, the cross, cross was absolutely... I mean, Fizd is un- understating it, really. It was fired at him and he turned it in very neatly. Um, but defensively, I'll be honest, you know, we looked vulnerable, as we have for much of pre-season. Yeah. That's not an enormous surprise. The two goals weren't particularly great. I mean, I think the first one is nearly worse than the second one. Uh, Maitland-Niles mm. got done very easily. Uh, out right back and then you look at the the two central defenders standing there watching Dembele and neither of them neither of them are marking him he's free on his own in the box I think really Callum Chambers is the one who should have been should have been closer to him not great defensively Uh, the second one uh, I know a lot of people have pointed fingers at Mustafi but it looked to me from the clip that I saw that you know he might have he might well have um, played them on side it's still never a good look though when you're just running back with your arms in the air uh, because we've seen that one a a little too often and again some people pointing fingers at at Maitland-Niles for maybe playing them on side but um, yeah look I think over the course of the tour the thing, you know, the key thing is that we have been, uh, it has been obvious that defensive recruitments are required. Again, we're going to save those questions for the uh, for the second part of the show. Um, Mesut Ozil and Sead Kolasinac didn't take part in the Emirates Cup. Uh, Unai Emery said they weren't yeah. 100% ready after the, after the ordeal. Um, that they went through, which has got to be really very frightening. I know everyone was going, "Wow, look at Kalasinac, what a beast!" and and all that kind of stuff. But when you're when you're faced with that kind of a situation, it is something that can have quite a significant effect on you psychologically. Definitely, definitely, and, and you would think the club would be supporting them through that with appropriate counselling and you know essentially victim support because. You know, Kalasnach was extremely brave, but I think it's on instinct at that point. It's fight or yeah. fly, isn't it? And you, you can't anticipate what you might do in that kind of scenario, uh, especially when there are, you know, other people. I think they had their partners with them, didn't they? So it's mm. lots of people at, at risk of danger there. I mean, a really, really frightening incident. And, you know, I think I understand why the players have put a very brave and positive face on things publicly but I hope they're getting the support they need behind the scenes and I'm sure they will be from the club yeah I mean when you think about it I mean I know that a lot of these um, people who who carry out those attacks you might call them um, cowards in a way because of the way they carry them out that they blindside people and they they rely on the fact that the the element of surprise and also the shock will allow them to get away with what they get away with. So when confronted, I guess they weren't expecting that. I suppose the the, the very fortunate thing is that nobody, or, or the, the the guys, the people who were uh, attacking Kolasinac and Ozil, didn't 
react aggressively themselves. Because, you know, had they been a bit more psycho or whatever, Kolasinac could have been in real trouble. Yeah, he could. And, you know, there's been a lot of jokes about it. And the temptation in the way things are on social media is everything everything becomes a meme, right? Mm. But uh, it's, it's not really a laughing matter at all. And, uh, yeah, I'm just very glad that they both uh, were unharmed. And I think they're probably quite lucky in yeah. the circumstance. So, look, we've got another game this week against Angers in in mm. France um, on Wednesday and then on Sunday we've got a uh, a game in Barcelona so I wonder what the schedule is this week will we just day trip over to France and play that one and then back and day trip or do an overnight in Barcelona to play um, against Barcelona at the camp now I mean it strikes me that we'll probably see something similar to the way the games are set up on the European or the US tour rather where there's a a younger team picked for the game in France and then something approaching what would be Unai Emery's first pick for the Newcastle mm. game playing against playing against Barcelona so we'll we'll get a an interesting look at what's to come um from the two games that we've got this week yeah, it will be really fascinating to see that Barcelona lineup because I think you're right. That's a week, seven days exactly before the Newcastle game. It's a good opportunity to put out something like his first team. And I think anyone who's sort of not ready to play that Barcelona game probably isn't going to be ready to play the Newcastle match. So some of these players who are later back, I think, probably won't quite make the cut for the start of the Premier League season. The guys mm. have been at African Cup of Nations or Copper America potentially. But uh, Angers, yeah, I think it'll be one of those sort of very mixed 11s, a bit of kids, fringe players, uh, maybe a couple of senior professionals as well. But mm. uh, I think Barcelona is quite high profile friendly, isn't it? I mean, you know, they, there's a theoretical trophy at stake, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, but I think, you know, if you're Emery and you're preparing for a new season, this is your last game. This is your last game to, you know, get the formation and the system right personnel right I mean I think in the absence of any new signings the back four that he picks against Barcelona will in all likelihood be the back four that he picks for the opening game at Newcastle that's a frightening thought <laughs> it is a bit uh, yeah it is a bit I mean who knows we might have a a new signing by then to to change things but um, yeah there's a there's a there's a real worry about the defence. Okay. I think there's a, there's, there's, as you say, there's questions, but we'll get on to those. We will. I think we should. Um, we'll take a break right here. We'll come back with your questions, most of which are about our defence, in part two, <laughs> right after this. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits like Tangeray, Crown Royal, and Ciroc. Then get them delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. Right now, Drizzly is giving new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. 
treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can do that by signing up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog for just five euros a month. That is where we're going to start. I'm going to put the uh, defensive questions just a little bit further in the distance. And this one comes from N.C. Gunner, And he says, is it just me or does the Pepe news make you worry that we're preparing to sell Aubameyang or Lacazette to pay for it? I know we aren't paying everything up front, etc., but it's still an awful lot of money. Do you, James, worry about either selling those two or do you believe perhaps that there might be an injection of uh, liquid cash because through another sale. I have to say, when I first saw the Pepe news, I did immediately think, I wonder if a striker's being sold because, you know, you can imagine a team shape where you've kind of got 4-3-3, one centre forward, and you compensate for losing the other by ensuring you have goal-scoring wide players. And Pepe, you know, is like Salah, like Mane, is it is in that mould. Um, but... You know, I saw David Ornstein on Five Live saying he doesn't think either striker will be sold, uh, that they're not going to compensate for it in that way. Um, so I, I, I don't think they are going to know us to sell some more, more players, but it's very quiet again on the outgoing front, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, you know, I think selling Aubameyang would be madness. I think you could possibly, mm. possibly make a case for selling... Lacazette, if you bring in someone like Pepe. I'm not saying it's what I would do, but I think you could make a a case for it. I don't think they will, but it did make me wonder if we are going to sell someone, if we've got some deals lined up for some outgoing players that might bring in and generate some cash. Because I know there's been a lot of talk about the transfer budget and Vinay said, what is this 40 million? I don't recognize that number as being our transfer budget. But, you know, those numbers are based on um, estimates by the AST, also by Swiss Ramble, um, you know, who, who are not just plucking figures out of the air. You know they're working sure. with the with the with the public accounts that are available to them. You know Arsenal's budget could be forty million, it could be fifty, it could potentially be sixty, but we'll wait and see at the end of the window exactly how much we've spent uh, and how much we've brought in. And I suspect it might well be something uh, around that forty million pound figure. So I have a sneaky feeling that they've got something lined up for somebody to go out. I don't know who it might be. Um, whether it's somebody big, whether it's a couple of fringe players, you know, El Neni could go, 
Um, who else could go? You know, uh, Chambers potentially could go. He's one of those players who's mm. who's been touted around as a potential make weight in a deal for Zaha, for example. Carl Jenkinson. I know you're not going to get massive money for for those players, but it could be enough basically to pay the Pepe installment this year. And then every year, I think it's a smaller installment for the duration of of the five years that we've signed him. So I I don't think we can realistically sell either of the two strikers. Um, I don't think we will sell either of the two strikers. But I would be surprised if, considering we're still looking at Kieran Tierney and we have this defensive issue hanging over us, I would be surprised if we signed Pepe and didn't sell at least two or three players. Yeah, I mean, the good news is we can sell players abroad, can't we? Even after the the British transfer deadline yeah. goes, uh, and I do wonder if if that might happen in one or two cases. Um, I mean, the Koscielny thing's gone very quiet. We don't know quite what's happening there. Yeah, we had a question on that actually. From uh, let me see here, I have it here. I'm going to fire away with a couple of questions because I do have a defensive one, and this is from uh, Raúl. Bartra, who's that? Bartra Raul or Batra Rahul. He says, I'm surprised the uh, Kashani situation was not given any coverage at the Q&A with Raul and Vinay. Surely the club captain revolting should have been addressed by the head of football. I mean, I, I would be a, a, a little surprised, but I mean, look at those questions, fans, and I think the agenda there, perhaps understandably, was very driven by things around the kind of we care, do you movement and, mm. and some of those broader fan concerns. Uh, but yes, it is interesting that it's sort of died down because this is the club captain who's playing no part in the first team in pre-season, who's effectively already got one foot out the door. He is going to leave abroad. So one would imagine that that gives him more time to do so and it might rumble on a little bit until some kind of agreement is found. Uh, but you know, clearly he's going to go. I, I, mm. uh, I, I just feel like it's a real shame. You know, I thought that at the time that was my first response. I think Arsenal really would have liked to keep Koscielny yes. this summer if they could have done. I do too. Um, especially with the Saliba deal being the way it is, it seems to me that you know it wasn't. <laughs> I think I would feel a lot better about the prospect of us not signing a centre half if I thought Laurent Koscielny would be available. For this yeah, season. yeah, I think I think so, and I think that was probably Arsenal's plan. I think it was maybe to use Koscielny and Socrates to start the season. Mm-hmm. Then you have Rob Holding, who's going to come back. Um, you know, Chambers and Mustafi then as your fourth and fifth choice options when those three are fit and the fact that Holding could come back in and play along, alongside Socrates means Koscielny could be could be rested a bit. So I think the Koscielny thing has put a real um, dent in our plans from a, a defensive point of view and maybe pressed home the urgency of signing a defender this summer. So I'll go to the question that I did have about about this transfer window, and it's all the way up here. Why is it always the last one? Uh, this comes from Cam, uh, who says he's at Cameron Sadler, who says, despite signing Pepe, attacker, Saliba still a year away, and Ceballos temporary, which is certainly a good window for us relative to recent years, wouldn't you agree that this window is a failure 
if we don't secure what we need most, which is a competent, immediately available centre-back? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think one of the things that's happening here is that Unai Emery is looking at compressing uh, his formation from going to three from three centre halves mm. to two. Right. And I think he's got an enormous amount of centre halves for ideally two positions. Does he though? You know, it, well, I think so. So he's I got mean, Socrates, he's got Holding, he's got Chambers, and he's got Mavropanos. Mavropanos is injured and can't play and yeah. needs some development time. So he's got Holding, Socrates, Chambers, and Mustafi. Those are, yeah. the, those are the four. Is that a so huge amount? He's got those four. We did, we did go into a season before with only three, if I remember correctly. Didn't we go into I mean, a season with Vermalen, Mertesacker, um, Koscielny, and La- Nacho Monreal was viewed as like the fourth choice centre half? That was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. I, I, there are four in your list, but, you know, I think Nacho Monreal at a push can play. Technically, Koscielny is still on the books. And then you have got three young players in Mavropanos, Medley and Bielik. And, you know, their futures are sort of to be determined in the immediate term. But for me, the issue is is not quantity, it's quality. And I do wonder if they feel a bit like they have to move some out or at least have some guarantee that they're going to move some out. I mean, mm. presumably the the reported decision to sell Christian Bielik is in part informed by... We've got a lot of centre-backs for two slots, but uh, I've, I've forgotten what the original question was. Is well, it a good summer's transfer window? No, no, no. The, the question if, was, would it be a failure? I don't think so, because as much as we need a centre-half, we have definitely required reinforcements in other areas. I think particularly a wide player. When you go back to the January transfer window and the players we were linked with, people like Perisic, Carrasco. I think Unai Emery really wanted a a, a wide player who could dribble and who could be a goal threat. And it looks like he's going to get that. Um, I would desperately love us to add a centre-half to that. But maybe, I mean, maybe they just can't find somebody. Is Is that credible? I mean... If you were to ask me right now, like, who should we go and sign? I don't really know myself, but then I'm not a highly paid scout. Um, well-versed in every league in, in European football, whose job is to specifically identify players from my own football club to bring in. Of course. I, I, yeah. I think when you look at you look at the situation that we have with some of these players, you know, there, there are circumstantial situations that we have to look at as well. So holding... Looked very sharp in training on the U.S. tour, but uh, from what I'm told, he's earmarking after the first international break for his comeback. And then we kind of have to be a little bit sensible with him, right? So we can't just sort of throw him in and expect him to play three games a week. I don't think that's possible. Um, Chambers, potentially okay alongside Mustafi, but... Um, you know, I have some I have some concerns. Um, Mustafi situation seems to me to be a very difficult one because there is almost zero faith 
in him among fans, and that's being reflected in the reception that he's getting, which I think is um, is not helpful. But I don't think the club can be blind to that either. You know, they can't ignore that. You know, this is this is happening, um, and it's very difficult no. for a player. And but it's no, very can they go on? I was I was just going to say, nor can they sell a player if no one wants to buy them. So you know what? Can yeah. you do to a certain extent. That's true. That's true. Um, so I think for me, while I you know look at the signings that we've made, I think Ceballos is smart. As I've said, if we bring in Pepe, that's a fantastic signing and one we should all be excited about. But if the only significant change in our central defensive lineup this summer is that Lauren Koscielny is gone and Callum Chambers has come back from loan on Fulham. I think that would be a failure to address what is just as key an issue to this team and this transfer window as bringing in the wide player. For me, anyway. Well, we've got worse if that's what happens. Yes. I think. Yeah. So, I mean, what about the idea? Uh, what about the idea that if you are a more attacking team, a team that spends more time in the opposition half, that causes greater threat to the opposition, that takes more shots, that that, uh, has more dribbles, that gets into the box more often, that by doing that, you take some of the weight off the defence. Is that a reasonable way of trying to rationalise not bringing in a central defender. I mean, I can't believe that they're not trying. I, I, like, I genuinely can't believe that they're just saying, well, we'll wait for Saliba for a year and Rob Holding will be another year developed and, and Socrates can be the elder state, whatever. I, you know, I can't believe that that's the case. They have to be out there looking for a centre half. But in the absence of it, is there anything positive that we can take from the fact that we're looking, as it stands, to really improve the attacking side of our team, I think that I think I think there has to be. I mean, my inference from watching all this is that, and maybe this is uh, not correct, but it feels a bit like Unai Emery kind of looks at this team and thinks, uh, you know, he, he couldn't solve that defensive problem in the entire course of last season. Uh, and I think that he maybe recognises that, you know, him constantly tinkering with that and trying to get that right didn't really make us any better. And maybe he just thinks, well, look, if I put out a team that has enough of t- attacking f- firepower and looks to control games and be mm. protagonists, uh, to borrow his own word, then that might be the best form of defence for us. But... I think we definitely need to try and do something between now and the end of the window. You know, I have seen a couple of whispers about potentially a loan signing. I wonder if there might be some some legs in that, simply because, A, I don't know where we're going to get any more transfer funds from, and B, given that we have young defenders like Holding, like Chambers, like Mavropanos, you know, maybe they would want those to be the guys to take us forward in the future. Saliba coming in next year, let's not forget. Uh, but someone who could kind of be a stopgap this season if Koscielny goes Mm. I think is a a necessity really yeah like you know if I think we're going to be talking about it all season otherwise aren't we yes I mean we're certainly going to be talking about it until something happens when is the transfer deadline is it next 
Thursday? Friday. Friday? Thursday or Friday, yeah. Uh, Not. I think it's the 9th, the Friday. Right, okay. And is it like a 5pm or, or an 11pm? Actually, PM? maybe it's... No, maybe, maybe the season kicks off on a Friday night. Um, what do we... What, I have Sky Sports here telling me Thursday, August, the August, August. I'm doing the Danny Thabayoth. 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 Danny Thabayoth. Um, August the 8th until 5 p.m. That's... 5 p.m. I think. Yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll be there at 4 p.m. Biting my fingernails, hoping yeah. a defender arrives. So we can sell, we can still sell to leagues where the window remains open... So it's possible that we could bring players in and have a heavy squad and still sell some of them. It's not an ideal situation to be in, though, because when everyone knows you've got to shift some players, your bargaining um, power goes down. But that's just the reality of the market that the Premier League have created now uh, because of the way they've they've set up the uh, the transfer deadline. So we have, what, basically 10 days to find a central defender or a way of improving the centre of our defence. Mm. It's quite... Yeah, I'm not particularly optimistic about that, I'll be mm. honest with you. OK. Um, but but what do you think? Is it a failure, uh, the window, if we don't do that? I think... I don't think the overall window would be a failure, but I think not addressing that issue would be would be a real failure. You know, we've conceded 102 Premier League goals in two years. It's the same personnel. We brought in Socrates last season. It didn't really make a great deal of difference. Perhaps there are things structurally, tactically, organisationally that Unai Emery can do with his team this season, which might take some of the the heat off our defence. You know, with a maybe a three-man midfield and one sitting deep or, or you know, uh, somebody like, uh, if we can keep the ball more. I mean, the thing about it is, though, um, we don't need... T- uh, we're, we're the kind of team that's quite easy to expose defensively. It, it, it can often be just one ball over the top that that makes makes us look terrible defensively. So it's not as if, you know, having lots of the ball um, will immediately wipe out the threat of the opposition. All they need to do is, like, sit deep, we push up, they play a ball over the top, we look for an offside that's not there, and away we go, you know. So maybe there's ways of doing it, but I think... I think unless we strengthen the defence, we're still going to have this flaw within our team that will not allow us to reach our attacking potential. I think the best attacking teams do have some measure of a solid platform defensively. And I don't think we have that with the players that we have right now. So, no. Certainly not. But I suppose sometimes I think uh, I think about what, what a good team would be and I think about, you know, winning titles and winning major championships. But then when I look at this season, all we have to do, all we need to do, really, our aim is to get back into the Champions League. And do I think that by having an attack of, say, Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe, we could have enough firepower to to be in that top four, if not particularly near top spot, I think probably on balance we, we might well be able to, given mm. how close we got last year. But yeah, I, look, I'd rather see us with a more secure defence too. Don't get mm. me wrong. Okay. Uh, 
Let's have this question. Which, in fact, it's two questions, really. The first one from Discord is from Ivanson. And the question goes, is Pepe's potential arrival changing how you feel about Mislintat leaving? This transfer seems to be primarily about the agent connections, which Mislintat was against. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a better or worse approach? Uh, and there was another question from Ollie on the Discord, who said, if we get Pepe, how do you feel about the reported 9 million agents fee uh row linking to schmooze is one thing but i'm not sure how i feel about what is effectively a bribe just be just to get your <laughs> point on how this makes you feel about raul and his approach and and sven potentially um i mean is the nine million part of the 70 million or is it separate from that well, i don't quite know it sounds like it's separate and and based on the reports from italy uh, you know, Arsenal's willingness to meet the agents' demands has been a factor in the in the players' camp's decision. And the agent uh, is George Mendes. I'm not sure. Sh- no, I, is it not the players' agent? I don't believe so. I believe that George Mendes has been hired as an intermediary <laughs> to. <laughs> Okay. Um, to act on behalf of Arsenal. I, I, that's my... What I was told is that he had a mandate to do the deal. Um, so we got... A, he was not the player's agent. Right. So we got another agent to act as an agent mm-hmm. for us to deal with Nicolas Pepe's agent. Essentially, yes. Right. Um, uh, in, in as far as I understand it. It, I mean, and, uh, it, yeah. Look, it feels it feels a bit murky, but is it the reality of how you get deals done? Like, maybe that's just what you have to do these days. I mean, it would be great to mm. think that it was just the draw of Arsenal. You know, he really wants to play at the Emirates. He really, really wants to play Europa League football next season. Are those the things? that convince a player to sign for a club. I think the other thing as well is that, like, whatever whatever we say about the agent fee, ultimately the decision about where the player goes is down to the player himself, right? So if he fancied playing yeah. for, for Napoli in the Champions League next season, what we offered his agent shouldn't really be the main consideration, unless this agent is some kind of Svengali-type figure who is dictating every move, and I guess that's not beyond the realms of possibility, you know? So yeah, well, I, I, yeah, do, I don't know how to think about it. It's, it's, look, it's not, it's not great, but it's the reality of how the market works and how you get deals done. Does it change the way I feel about Mislintat and Raul? I don't know. Let's see where we are. I mean, there's a lot to be said for... Uh, an approach to recruitment that uh, highlights the best of both worlds, if you like. Like, you do need personal connections. You you do need people who know people um, to make things happen. So I think there's two kind of separate strands. And this is where I think the, when we heard about Mislintat and Raul and, and Ivan Gazidis last year, this was our thinking, was that Mislintat was going to identify the talent. That was his key area of expertise, right? He could spot these young players. He could work on the deals to a certain extent. And when we needed to get them over the line, 
Raul was the guy who was going to do it because that's what he did at Barcelona. He, you know, brokered that crazy Neymar deal, you know, and you have to deal. You, the reality is you have to deal with agents. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what we're seeing here in that the identification of Pepe as a talent, you know, isn't necessarily something that you you have to... Um, you know, be a Sven Mislintat to see, but the ability to get the deal done is maybe not something Mislintat could do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, I think, fair. Um, And I also think if you look at the players we're signing this summer or certainly have been linked with, if you were told that Sven Mislintat had identified them or signed them off, you know, uh, Pepe, Martinelli, Ceballos, Tierney, they are kind of young up-and-comers. You wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, well, this is an anti-Mislintat policy that we're enacting here. You know, these are guys with yeah. with big upsides and big potential. Um, I think it is a little bit of vindication for Raul in terms of pulling strings and getting things done. And it's, yes, a bit unpleasant that a lot of that money goes out of the game and into agents' pockets. But if you want to deal at this level, that is the way it works. And... You know, just to touch on the Mendes thing, I mean, that's that's pretty common. There are two ways that agents make money, and one is by having a client list, and the other is by effectively acting as brokers, people who are sort of granted contractual permission to do deals off of clubs. Mm. Uh, and very, very often that will mean that, uh, that you won't actually be the player's agent and it will mean that you'll have to, the club might have to pay commission twice. I mean, let me tell you, if George Mendes has done this deal for Arsenal, they'll be paying him a pretty penny too, never mind Nicolas Pepe's agent. Yeah. So I, I'm sure it will be expensive on that front and I'm sure that will all come out in the wash, but they have, it seems, got the agreement of the player and landed... Uh, landed the target. So, you know, if Raul's job is to get these deals over the line, in this instance, it would appear he's done it. And let's just hope he can do the remainder of what's left to do in this window. Yeah, um, I mean, but, the, the, there is a... The, the Arsenal often... Uh, I think they have to, don't they? Clubs have to release um, how much they pay to agents. Um, so I actually found this story here. Uh, the Yeah, Arsenal... Last year in, for last season, we paid something in the region of 11,181,000 to agents. In comparison, Everton paid 20, uh, no, Everton paid 19 million. Chelsea played 20, nearly 27 million. Liverpool, uh, we we talk about Liverpool's uh, recruitment as something that we should try and use as a blueprint, right? Liverpool paid 43, nearly 44 million pounds in agents' fees. So that could include the deals for Allison. It could include the deal for Van Dijk. You know, the other players that they've brought in who've been so effective, who helped them win a Champions League. The reality is that when you make deals in the ballpark of 70 million pounds, uh, it's going to smash our transfer record. You're going to pay a chunk in agents' fees as well. Or you don't get the deal done. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, the transfer fee for Pepe is pretty absurd, let alone the agent's fee. But Mm. that is just the market that we're operating in. And the way it's going, you'd have to think he's got a good chance of retaining that value. So in that respect, you know, I think it's 
it is probably a more sensible investment than than the Zaha one. Mm. Okay, whose question is it? Is it my question? I think it is. Uh, this one actually comes from it Facebook. Is. It's from Jude Sebastian. He says, Saint-Étienne bought Pepe for $9 million. They didn't. It was Lille who bought Pepe for $9 million from Angers in 2017. Now they're possibly selling for $70 million. Why are we not trying to grab players at a more modest price uh, levels and aiming to move them on for large profits? Well, I'm sure we're trying. I'm, mm. sure, I'm sure we're trying. And I think, you know, signings like Genduzzi, Martinelli, you know, uh, to a slightly lesser extent, Lucas Torreira, are indications of players who we have recruited at a good age for a good price who could be sold for profit. And I also think our academy, we've talked about this before, but could could prove to be a significant resource for us in that respect. I mean, I don't know what you made of the story this week about Xavier Michi uh, leaving the club, mm. but, you know, I know he was a very well thought of prospect, but it sounds like we got a a decent fee, a few million quid for him and a significant sell-on within that. So, you know, and that will be profit on nothing, essentially. So uh, that could be a way of us recouping some cash. I would love it. It's funny, you know, Arsenal probably the only club where this is the case because we're such bad sellers historically. But if we could sell off a few fringe players that we don't really need in this window for healthy fees, I would love that. I would love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I think we all you know, would. I'm thinking El Nenny or maybe a, a, a Callum Chambers say, you know, if we could get like return on our investment for those guys, that would be tremendous. Yeah. I mean, we're just so bad at doing Well, I mean, we can't sell Callum Chambers as it stands unless we bring in a central defender. No. There's no way we can Correct. sell Callum Chambers. But certainly El Nenny, certainly uh, Jenkinson, um, and, you know, we see who else might be considered surplus to requirements. The other thing to make the point on here is that uh, the player's readiness is part of um, why a club will buy them. So maybe Arsenal didn't spend $9 million on Nicolas Pepe in whenever it was that he joined. When did he join uh, Angers? 2013. So, you know... They bought him, uh, where did he go, from Lille, 2017. So, you know, readiness is a is an issue here. Is he ready to play at the level that the club needs him to play at? So, mm. you know, yeah, that's part of it, I think. Um, and just identifying identifying the talents. And I suppose as well, if you're just buying players with the idea of selling them, I think your your strategy has to be a little bit different. You've got to be buying players to get into your team, not necessarily um, as for their asset value, you know? So, Yeah, that's very true. Um, this question comes from 321 on Discord, and they ask, what's going on at left-back? Given how many bids we've made to Celtic for Tierney, that position is presumably a priority. But if the Tierney bid is in fact off, are we targeting another left-back? Or have we been forced to move that money to deal with the Koscielny move? Do you think our need for a centre-back could make left-back less of a priority? Um, I mean, they, they seem to really want Tierney, don't they? I mean, it, it was reported last week that the thing was dead, and then it was reported, no, it's not dead. They're still after him. They're confident, you know, of getting a deal done. But they've been confident for a few weeks now. It seems to me that they're prioritizing Tierney over any other left back on their list. That's for sure. For sure. Um, 
So, I mean, beyond what's being reported in the newspapers, I don't have any real idea. The other thing about Tierney is, I don't think even if he arrived tomorrow, he's fit to play at the start of the season, is he? Or is he? I don't think so. I don't think uh, so. I mean, he's there's still been over like... uh, operation. Yeah. So, you know, he... Maybe that's part of it. Maybe they don't need to be in a hurry to to finalise the Tierney deal because they know that he's not going to start... Um, he's not going to start the season. So, um, hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that the Koscielny thing has happened has only highlighted our need for a centre-half anyway. And if they were, you know, if... If they were already targeting a left back, I don't see why it would have any impact on that. That's that's all. Yeah, I mean, maybe that is an area where we might make one of these sales we're talking about. You know, if we were to get Kieran Tierney, I can't see the necessity for having Tierney, Kalasnach, and Monreal in the squad next season, um, and Zach Medley, who's you know can play a little bit of left back potentially as backup. So maybe. There could be a sale there. I feel like Kalasnach is one of those, one of the few assets we have that we could actually get a good chunk of money for. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, here's a question from Nick, who's at Real Nick Morgan, uh, and he says Iwobi went on record saying he would look to leave the club if he didn't get enough playing time. And just to put those quotes in context, he said, like any player, if he wasn't playing, he'd he'd have to go because he wants to play. However, he did say, you know, this was around the time we were looking at Zaha, that the arrival of Zaha, you know, wouldn't frighten him and he'd be willing to fight for his place. So let's give him that. Um, but he says, with this impending Pepe signing, should we cash in on Iwobi and let Saka, Nelson... Or Mkhitaryan take up the backup wing spots or deploy him more centrally? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think there is a bit of congestion potentially when Pepe arrives in these wide areas now. And I can't quite work out what we're going to do with everybody. I mean, to be honest, when I look at the list of players, the one who to me just seems absolutely surplus to requirements is Henrik Mkhitaryan. Mm. You know, especially if Pepe is going to play predominantly for the right hand side. I, I just don't really see the need for Mkhitaryan in the squad, but we all know there are sort of fiscal reasons that it might prove difficult to move him on. Um, but he would be the the one that I would probably cut the tie with first. But I do wonder if this is going to uh, impact on some of the younger players, you know, if, if Pepe's arrival means Reese Nelson or, you know, someone like that, Saka might be sent on loan because their their opportunities might be a little bit limited. I think I've already said I think Smith Rowe will definitely go on loan almost regardless. I wouldn't sell Iwobi uh, just yet. I mean he's under contract for another four years I think something like that. He's under a big long term deal didn't he a year mm. ago um, uh, so he, his values not, shouldn't drop anytime particularly soon and I think he has attributes that do make him a useful squad player but if it gets to next year and you find that he's not uh, integral you know I think something we have to get better at as a club is is cutting ties and making sales when it's required I'm just not necessarily sure we're quite at that point in his case what do you think yeah I would I you know if we are planning on playing Pepe from the right it still leaves a bit of a gap on that left hand side 
doesn't it? That's true, yeah. Um, which is Maybe, true. I mean, I'm sort of working on a bit of an assumption that Aubameyang might play from the left a bit. I um, think that's probably true. Yeah. But, I, you know, if if he doesn't, I think, obviously, Mkhitaryan's an option. But then I think Iwobi is, is is really prominent in Unai Emery's thoughts. You know, he, he was for most of last season and there's no obvious reason why that should change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the arrival of Ceballos has maybe put pay to the idea that yeah, moving centrally, which I thought perhaps might be the case because uh, he does seem a bit more naturally suited to that. And like you say, there is a bit of a bit of congestion in there, but there's also Reese Nelson. There's also Saka, you know, who, who was impressive on the tour as well. Um, so maybe it's just a, you know, a big squad trying to foster a competitive environment. But I would, you know, I wouldn't yet sell a Wobi. Like, if you were to ask me between Mkhitaryan and Iwobi who I'd prefer to sell, it would be Mkhitaryan, for sure. Hmm. But again, wages could could well be an issue there. Yeah, and I also think the likes of Nelson, uh, Saka, I just think it's a little bit soon to kind of take Iwobi out of the picture and give those guys their head. I mean, I think they're, they're obviously really promising, but I think they would be served... Uh, within by another year, you know, with a way be in front of them, and then if they develop accordingly, then maybe you do consider selling him. But I wouldn't, he wouldn't be the guy I would let go this summer. No, okay, I think it's your question. It's my question. Uh, mm. oh, I should have had one lined up in that case. You should have, yeah. um, uh, Elena Colburn at True Blood Gunner says, Do you think Pepe? is finally the real Alexis Sanchez replacement. He seems to do a lot of the same things. He's a dribbler, a creator, and a goal scorer who might lose the ball quite a bit. And then they go on to ask, what would your starting eleven be with our current squad and Pepe? I don't think we're going to do that one yet. Before the pre- We can't get into the preferred starting eleven uh, sh- shit yet, can we? <laughs> Not yet. Like, But, I mean, based on... No, we can't because, you know, we haven't signed Pepe yet. So, you know, your instinct, of course, is at the start of the season, you've got to put him in the team, but he hasn't signed yet. And if we if we put him in a starting 11 on a podcast, it will absolutely jinx the deal, which is going to happen any second after we've uh, finished recording, of course. Mm. Um, is he an Alexis Sanchez replacement? Possibly. Possibly. I don't know that, you know, this idea that we always have to replace somebody um, yeah, it sort of overlooks the fact that even with those players, we were still iffy at times. Like, you know the way people say, if only we had another Santi Cazorla. Of course, Santi Cazorla is an amazing footballer and a great guy, but it wasn't as if when we had Santi Cazorla, we were winning the league. World beaters. Yeah. You know, and same with Alexis. Um, he really dominated in a team which probably had a, a quality gap um, at centre forward. You know, so maybe the reason Alexis was so good is because Giroud wasn't quite at the level we wanted him to be. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know about him being an Alexis replacement, but he would certainly bring things to this team that we need. Well, I think that's it. I think you know the comparison to Alexis. I'm not necessarily sure they are that similar, but I think when Alexis left uh, and certain other players left around that time too. Certain attributes from our first team squad, and I think uh, pace on the flanks, dribbling with the ball, goal scoring threat from wide positions those are things that we have really missed. And on paper, 
he replaces that. You know, I mean, it's it's impossible to know how he'll settle. I think he, I think he's probably a, a bigger prospect with a higher ceiling than Wilfred Zaha. But because he's playing in a different league, I think there is that element of risk and not quite knowing how it's going to pan out. But mm. Look, there's a, a real history of. Uh, but for the most part, players moving from Ligue 1 to Arsenal have done okay. I mean, you know, we did sign an Ivorian winger from Lille uh, <laughs> a few years ago. That didn't pan out too great. But yeah. I'm trying to, uh, you know, I don't. I, I'm trying to not invoke the spirit of Javinho. Exactly. Just because we did the we did the exact same thing a few years ago doesn't mean it will have the exact same outcome. Right. That's Arsenal all right. over for you. That's right. <laughs> right. Tell That's me. the Arsenal motto. Yeah, okay. Here's one from Meanly, not Arsenal Vision. And he says, assuming this Pepe deal goes ahead, we'll have quite a number of attacking options to choose from, which is quite exciting. But my question to you guys is, how much of a say do you think Edu has in regards to our playing style? Well, interesting question. I mean, I thought it was interesting that Raul made very plain, didn't he, that Edu is not to be held accountable for this summer's transfer activity. Mm. Um, He couldn't have been more clear about that. And I think that was the right thing to do. And I guess absolutely inevitable, really, given that Raul said we had a plan dating back to the spring and Edu was very much occupied with Brazil at that point. Um, In terms of our playing style, well, I... I don't think he'll have much say at this point. I think it will take him about six months to really get his feet under the desk. Um, He's got very big feet, presumably, or a very small desk. It's it's a difficult (laughs) thing to do, essentially. But I I can't imagine he sits down on day one with Unai Emery and says, just so you know, Unai, this is the formation you've got to play and this is the style you've got to play it with. I think it will be more of a kind of process of evolution where they'll have conversations about style and Eddie will arrive at his sort of philosophy rather than just trying to implement it from day one. I think it's more something that when Unai Emery is evaluated, maybe towards the end of the forthcoming season, by that stage, I think Edu's say and his kind of technical philosophy will be one of the factors Emery is evaluated against. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I think that's very fair as well. Um, Like, I don't think Edu can go to Unai Emery and say, you must play like this. You know, Mm. I I don't think he can do that with a manager who's um, established and in the job and, and everything else. What he might be able to say is, we want Arsenal to play exciting, attractive, attacking football. How you do that, that's up to you as the coach, but that's kind of what we want to be our philosophy or our brand or whatever else. I think the other thing is is that Edu's influence over our playing style might well come via the transfer market as well. You're right, Sanya. He said that he doesn't, you know, none of this window can be put on him. And in fairness to Sanya, that means that as head of football, he's taken that, responsibility on himself. So whatever happens this window, it's on Raul Senyehi. That's basically what he made clear. It's the same way that when Josh Kroenke came out and said, when I speak, I speak on behalf of my father, it basically means that we're never going to hear from Stan and everything is going to come from Josh. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think as they discuss what the team needs and what the squad needs and they target recruitment based on that, 
the kind of players that he brings in will inform the playing style or will help enable the kind of playing style that they want. So I think it's it's much, like you say, it's much more of a process than Edu sitting down and saying, right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. You go ahead and do that. It does. I don't think it works that way. No, nor do I. And I, and I think uh, that, that wouldn't be particularly productive. I think it's something that we'll only really see come into play, as I say, when they, they look at whether or not they're going to keep Unai on. But in terms of how he determines our style. I mean, you know, the style that he, from what I understand from his time at Corinthians, it wasn't all about free-flowing football. You know, it was quite structured football that he and mm. Tite, the coach there, worked on. Um, so if you look at Edu's history, and, and it, to an extent he's influenced that with the Brazilian national team too, mm. he hasn't personally been a guy who's been like, oh, we're going to play, you know, Wenger ball or, or anything necessarily like it. So it will be interesting to see if that carries through into his work at Arsenal or if he does try and sort of, you know, embrace some of the, the values and the philosophy of the club that he played for. It'll be, mm. yeah, a very, very interesting process to watch unfold. OK, a couple of very quick ones to finish then. This one comes from Go on. Niranjan R. Kulkarni, who's at opinion underscore of underscore nyes. And he says, so Aubameyang's signing video is by far my favourite signing video. Uh, of football transfers. Which signing videos do you like so far? I know Andrew doesn't normally like that type of stuff, but still. Uh, I actually quite liked uh, Saliba's one the other day with the little clip of Raul Senyehi dancing in the background. Did right. you see that? I didn't. I missed that in my fuzzy haze of North America. Right. Fair enough. It's on Saliba's Instagram channel. It's not even an official club thing. It's his own personal brand and uh, I think it's just a quirk of the way it's shot but at one point it does look like uh, Raul Sinehi's doing a sort of body popping move in the background right um, so that's up there I mean uh, I, I like you I share a bit of disdain for, for these things yeah uh, I, mean, I mean the only one that I do like is when you know the one where the American special forces uh, invade Saddam Hussein's palace and they all get captured and they have to send in Topper Harley uh, Oh, no, hang on. That's Hot Shots Part 2. Sorry. <laughs> Missed yeah. that one. I mean, on reflection, I quite like the Alexis Sanchez uh, piano playing one for Manchester United. Oh, that was good. I just think that's so funny now, yeah. um, given what a tremendous flop he's turned out mm. to be. OK, final one, because we got to go and you have things to do and you are in Edinburgh. Uh, and, of course... Oh, uh, oh quick note on that, on. by the way. Well... I, just, I, I don't know if you saw this, but... Um, there was this thing doing the rounds on Twitter about Arsenal were trying to hire someone who can fly a drone for Thursday. Oh, yeah. Uh, to do like an aerial shot of the Emirates Stadium. And there's a lot of spec, it's like a job placement somewhere. And there's a lot of speculation that that could be for a potential Nicolas Pepe signing video. Right. So look out for that. Okay. All right. Well, that has got absolutely nothing to do with. Um this question whatsoever but it to do with okay. the videos of course um yeah i was i was my brain isn't working it's working in a very linear fashion at the moment so when you said on this don't i worry. thought you meant the next question i was going to ask and i couldn't figure out oh, any no, connection no. to it i i, I don't know I how don't you know could have known ask. well i said you were in edinburgh and then you went oh on this and i thought you might have um said something but aaron ward sell who's at aaron ws at aaron ws says if i go to see james fringe show wearing an arsenal scarf scarf uh will he do the magpie fact song as an encore 
um i it's difficult to find a place for it within the show but uh if you do wear an arsenal scarf i will definitely sing you the magpie jingle i'll find you after the gig and sing you the magpie jingle. wow uh, in a private one-to-one setting which i think is even more valuable. I mean, I've just said that. I'm, I'm going to go out for my first show on Wednesday and it's going to be a bunch of people in Arsenal scarves. Who you're going to have to do a, gonna you're going to have to do a magpie lap dance for each one of them individually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yes, I may have opened the floodgates there. Yeah. A bit. But, uh, yeah, if you do want to cut, can I plug myself? Of course you can. Uh, as, uh, <laughs> as I always say, can I plug myself? And um, My show is at the Pleasance Courtyard at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and it's at 4.15pm every day, and it's called James McNicholas, the Boxer, and it's about uh, my granddad, who was a boxer, and how different he and I are. Uh, and if you're around, if you're going to be in Edinburgh, definitely come along and definitely say hi to me afterwards and do make you... me lap dance and sing the Magpie song. Okay, where, where do people get the tickets? There's an Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, website, I guess. There is, or you can go to pleasance.co.uk, and I guess fractionally more of the cut, like 2%. More. Okay, well, good. Um, well, go along. If you are in Edinburgh, go along and see that and get yourself a Magpie Facts lap dance. That's going to be that. People mm. have been asking where, you know, why, why did you, why did you stop the Magpie Facts? The reality is that Magpie Facts are now going to a brand new subscription website called the Magthletic <laughs> and you're going to have to pay £4 a month. <laughs> some Magpie news, guys. Yeah, yeah. some serious the Magpie news. The Magpies news. are going behind a paywall. But all right. Well, look, we will uh, we will talk to you next week, of course, on the on the Arscast Extra. Hopefully, between now and then, we'll have signed Nicolas Pepe and hopefully we'll have signed a central defender. Whatever happens, we'll cover it on the Arscast on Friday. Don't forget, there is an extra Arscast out today, that uh, Danny Ceballos special, so you can go and go and listen to that. Um, for now, though, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply